Kierkegaard designed spaces with careful consideration for sound and visual display. We are acoustics and audiovisual systems consultants that collaborate with architects where sound and communication are critical to the end user's experience. We have deep expertise with a broad range of project types and are world renowned for our performance facilities and beautiful sounding spaces. Our team is committed to serving the communities where we are based, including St. Louis. Learn more about us at Kierkegaard.com. Welcome, everyone, to this episode of Build America, the national podcast that is capturing and sharing the very heartbeat of construction and the construction workforce. I'm Carrie Smith. I'm your host, and I'm the owner of Construction News and Review, or CNR Magazine. And today we're talking about a fascinating topic, I think, and it really hones in on the very latest workforce retention movement known to many as the Big Stay. And the Big Stay, if you've not yet heard of that, seemed to follow on the heels of the great resignation trend that a lot of us saw during COVID and after the pandemic. But the Big Stay seems to talk to the topic of how companies are becoming more people-centric and really working on attracting and retaining people by the qualities of their workforce culture. And that's all I'm going to say because we have two consummate professionals with us today to talk us through this topic. Jennifer Nguyen is a managing partner at CMA Global, and Dana Borchert is a senior vice president at CMA Global. Both hold PhDs in organizational psychology from St. Louis University, and CMA Global helps companies build a stronger, more effective organization, one person at a time. So Jen and Dana, we're so excited to welcome you to Build America. Thanks for being with us. Thank you. Thank you for having us. Oh, our pleasure. Let's dive right in to this topic of the big stay and feel free to both of you give us some context for maybe the previous trend and maybe both of them are overlapping each other. I would love to just know, are we still on the tail end of the great resignation or are we seeing some uptick in retention specifically in the built environment? We actually did our our research in advance and we supposedly we're nearing the end of it. We're thinking that the resignations are returning more like they were pre-COVID level but it does seem to vary a little bit by industry. So what they're calling the big stay now, I think it has more application to the blue collar workers where there's more job security than white collar professionals, but the layoffs are way below what we saw pre-pandemic for those blue collar workers, particularly those in things like hospitality, food and beverage, construction and retail. Jen, I think that's such a great point. And I also think that when we think about the big stay versus the great resignation, it's about the lens you're looking at it from. So if you look at it from an economist perspective, we're at the big stay, the great resignation, or they were even thinking about it as the great reshuffle because people weren't just resigning, they were going to other jobs. That looks like it's ended as of September, 2023. But I think if you look at it from our psychologist lens, people might be staying in their organization, but I wouldn't cross your fingers and celebrate quite yet. It would be too early for leaders and organizations to say, oh, people are here and also make the assumption people are here because they want to be. It's really important to think about 
we want employees to stay, particularly in construction and hospitality, because they're loyal, they're committed, and they want to be there because that's going to lead to better performance, better customer service, better engagement versus I'm stuck. Because long term, if I'm just stuck, I'm going to leave whenever the opportunity comes. That makes a lot of sense to me. I wondered if you could either lens you'd like to look through, but maybe through the organizational behavior lens, just what sort of were the mindsets in construction that maybe, and I know we're, it depends if we're talking about C-suite professionals or trades workers, but what, I know I talked to people just anecdotally when I would interview a senior manager or a longtime project manager, superintendent, they, I saw a number of them exit because they were stuck on Zoom calls, <laughs> but not as exciting as this one, but on Zoom calls rather than at the job site. And they just lost, like you said, what drove them to love their profession had disappeared and none of us really knew for how long. So I wonder just in a psychological perspective, what was going on or what was going on in the minds of the tradesperson versus the in the office construction professional? Yeah, there was a lot of variability. So I think during the time that we were in lockdown or work from home, there was, at least with our construction clients, there was some tension with those that worked in the office often had the option to be flexible in where they worked, where those in the field were very challenged by how to still get their work done, how to navigate safety. So there was a lot of stress and unrest during that time that I still see just they're just settling back in to figure that out. So do all of the office workers in construction now come back to the office for fairness and equity since the those in the field have to go back onto the sites? Those sorts of things are now coming back up. And you didn't mention this one, Carrie, but the other one we hear a lot about is travel. I oh, agree sure. with you. I think there is the type of, of person who did construction who really enjoyed being on the job site, project superintendent, a laborer, they, you're right. They do those jobs because they like being on the job site. And that is challenging for them then to put them in an environment where they're on Zoom all day long. But what is shifting now is that there's always been this need for, say, project managers or project engineers who could travel. And it was already getting difficult pre-pandemic, just the shift in the demographics of the workforce to find people with a willingness to move their families and we're now hearing from our construction clients, that's even more difficult. So it's interesting. They want to be on the job site, but they are now seem to be less willing to be on a job site that requires them to go locate somewhere else for an extended period of time. I'm so glad you mentioned that. And that really strikes home with a lot of our CNR magazine clients because their geographic footprint has grown. But that's an excellent point, sort of those conflicting desires of and the requirements of the company and how do employers manage something that's still evolving? I'd carry with that too, Jen, you merely surface something for me, which is it's so consistent with Gen Z and what we're seeing in the research, which is Gen Z, honestly, they have a better sense of who they are authentically than other generations. And they're really taking time to think about what their values are and what their priorities are. And what we saw during the pandemic is that people's values didn't completely change, but they did change the priority of them. And so when you think about moving your whole family to a new job site or not even seeing your family for weeks at a time, that's no longer the priority. So they want to do the work. 
They want to work really hard and actually in really creative ways, but they're also going to prioritize other pieces of themselves. And I think organizations, this is where it's tricky if you get too excited about the big stay is you forget all those creative things leaders and organizations did during the pandemic to increase well-being and to really increase the whole self of their employees and get creative with those things. You can't just go back. Luckily, I don't hear a lot of that anymore. I used to hear, oh, I just, I can't wait for us to go back to pre-pandemic ways. I don't hear as much of that anymore because I believe leaders have thought, what we did change, that was hard, but we got creative. And so we have to keep flexing. And I think some of that is just curiosity. Instead of saying, oh, Gen Z, they're so difficult, right? We have to step back and say, all right, they're doing things differently. How can we figure this out so that they can be the most engaged and productive, which is ultimately going to help our bottom line, and we can still run a business? And Jen probably has a lot to say about that because as a business owner, I think she has to juggle these two sides of the seesaw a lot. (laughs) I actually have a construction client that shared with me recently a couple of creative things that they did to Dana's point. They gave me the example of they had, I believe it was a project manager that they wanted to go on a job site. It was an extended year or year and a half, at least length of time. And this project manager agreed to do it. And I think they were about six months in and the person was about to quit because they had a deck that they were building on their home that was still not finished. So it was unsafe. Their spouse couldn't even let the dog out in the backyard, had to go around the front. Winter had came and they, because they weren't home, they couldn't even coordinate with someone to come do the deck. And their boss said, we're a construction company and we would rather have this person stay in this job on this remote site. Can we not just figure out how to get this done for them? So they stepped in (laughs) and figured out how to get the deck done for them at home and it saved them, this person leaving, taking care of the responsibilities that they had back at home. They gave me a couple of other examples like that, where they came up with what is the block? Why don't they want to be gone for pick a number, year, two years? What is happening in their life, as Dana said, more holistically, that's making this challenging and can we solve it? Is this a solvable problem? They said the time, the money, the energy that it took them to help get the deck done was a lot less than had they had to replace that person and find somebody else who was willing to go on that job site. So I think that's exactly what Dana's talking about. Can you think a little differently about it? How can you attract someone to go to a, a job site far away? And what can you do to help them in their more holistic life? during the time that they're gone. I feel like that tells us several things and a couple of them that rose to the surface in my mind when you were explaining that, Jen, were the employee, the project manager, whomever felt comfortable enough to talk to whoever his uh, managers were. Yeah, Mm -hmm. and just to say, hey, this is what I'm struggling with because he could have just quit if he felt like he was in a hierarchical or not a culture where he could talk about what was a a big concern in his life. So I thought that was cool. And then just that once he shared that, whoever shared that with was creative enough to say, Hey, what's the greater uh, value here? And how can we, how can we make a difference? Yeah. And I'm sure there's many versions of that. I've heard versions where 
They've paid for their partner to come twice a month to, to visit them. So I, I think we can expand our thinking about how do we attract and retain people in this environment. We've had to do the same, even for us in hiring people. We've had to think about the people that we have that we want to keep and what are the creative ways in this flexible new environment. We're a hybrid work environment, so we're two days a week, but we're psychologists. So our culture is really what keeps people working for us because consulting can be a tough life. So if we never see each other and we just do Zoom meetings with clients all day, every day, this is not a very rewarding, client work is rewarding, but in terms of the internal team, that would not, there wouldn't be as many connections. So we have picked one common day a week that everybody comes in together. You made me think, Jen, just a little bit about the history of motivation. And during the great resignation or the great reshuffle, people were leaving in in construction, but also in like healthcare for that pay increase because they were getting offered incredible bonuses, outrageous bonuses to move, to be unloyal right? To just do a job, but to move to a different organization. And when we step back, money alone, it's foundational. It needs to help provide for a family or an individual. But beyond that, we see in the research, the things that really keep people are autonomy, mastery, and purpose. And as long as you are doing a job that is more complicated than punching a hole in a single button all day long, that those are the three things that matter. And so thinking about the either it's the field worker or the project engineer or the project estimator, how can you empower them to feel like they actually own a piece of the, the outcome? They have that trust and autonomy to lead their own work. How can they really become experts in their field? Is that providing additional education for them? Is it allowing them to dive into innovations in concrete, which I've learned over time, there's actually quite a lot of innovations in concrete and, and also the purpose. So as an organization, what's your culture? Do you have a bigger mission or is it just to make money? And is that going to keep your employees loyal to you over time too? I don't know. This is probably a completely different episode topic, but I talk with more and more construction companies of all sizes that are making the transition or are now ESOPs employee stock. Forgot what it stood for. Anyway, thank you. And I wondered if that's an example of why that's a more prolific choice, especially in the construction industry, to give people that, what did you say, autonomy, mastery, and purpose, especially purpose. Yeah. Dana can tell you, she uh, leads our associate consultants, which is essentially our intern program. People who are have a master's degree typically and are pursuing a PhD in psychology. We have how many right now? Eight or nine? Seven. Seven, and that autonomy and purpose and mastery shows up right away. They they join us and you give them a task. And even if it's something like help us write a proposal, they're much more engaged in that if they can have 15 minutes with the consultant to learn a little bit about the client, a little bit of more, just zoom out. Why are we doing this project? What's the goal? than just to give them piecemeal, just do the proposal. So same, if you can think about that as as Dana said, if you're doing more than punching a button, if there's some way to zoom out for them and help them understand how that fits in. The other thing I would say is 
define your culture, your values, and be very confident in it. And it's okay if it's not for everybody. It's more important that you're consistent with it than that you try to please everybody. Because we have lots of construction clients. And while the job of project manager is similar across all of those, the cultures and the type of people that work well in those are quite different. And that's okay. This project manager with this style and personality works well in company A and doesn't work well in company B. So be okay with that. Let them go over there to company A. Hold fast in who you are. That works much better in keeping people. We've got one construction company that is very warm interpersonally, engaging, likes to have barbecues and do lots of fun things with their team. And then we've got another one that's much more what you think of as process-oriented, detailed, put your head down and work, low ego. Both of those companies are thriving and doing really well. And they in both the, do a great in job. In the same region, too. In the same region. Oh, wow. And they both do a great job <laughs> retaining people. But they don't try to be the other thing. That's a great point because just with the money and time and heart that people invest in their culture, that's not something and you want to be shifting with the wind. And then that defeats the purpose, right? Then people don't know who you are. Yeah, we'll see them shift it when they find somebody they think is just, oh, I just have to have this person. They're just so talented. Look at their resume. They're the perfect fit. So we'll bend a little bit. It's okay that they don't quite match our culture. We'll make it work. You're going to make them miserable and yourself miserable. Wow. Before we got on, you said, Jen, you said people are turn people into stats. And I have to ask you about that because I think it's funny and, and, and it'll maybe be revealed just another part. We haven't talked a lot about CMA Global, but what did you mean by turning people into stats? And you said, by the way, in construction and other areas, companies really dig that. They love it. Yeah. And actually Dana and I love it too, even though we're psychologists and we love the people side, we can also be big nerds. So the nerdy part of what we do, the magic when we go over, so part of what we do is if a company is hiring somebody, we'll look at their critical thinking skills or in construction, we might look at numerical skills or mechanical reasoning ability. We'll look at their personality, what motivates them, how they lead and manage if they're going to have any leadership responsibility. And then we'll share with the client organization how that lines up with the needs of their role and their desired culture. And when we do that, people think it's magic, like horoscope reading. How did you do that? How did you get all that information? <laughs> it's not magic. It's math and stats. It's just straight up stats. And once our construction clients get that and they understand the statistics and the norms and that we're comparing this person to normed data and it helps reduce bias that normally creeps in during other aspects of selection, they are our biggest fans. <laughs> that's awesome. Dana, do you have anything to add to that? I think that's fascinating. I'd love to see that in real time. <laughs> I agree. It's really interesting because when you do think of construction in particular, let's just go with the stereotype of we're not talking warm and friendly. How do we increase everyone's kumbaya? We're looking at, hey, you have told us these are your 10 highest performers. This is their profile. This is why they've been successful. Let's look at your low performers too and, and see what the difference is here and really showing it's show me the money and show me the numbers, show me the data. And that speaks, I feel like, significantly stronger than us saying you should or shouldn't select or hire or go this way. It's, hey, this is your choice, but here's the information. 
So you might be looking at, you might be helping a company, say a construction company wanting to hire like a C-suite person or any type of person coming in, or you might be working with a company that you're looking at existing professionals. We do both. Yeah. Okay. Dana was explaining is we, for our clients that have been with us a while, we have a bank of data of their current employees. So we might say, all right, let's look at your project superintendents or your estimators that are really thriving and doing well. Give us 20 of those and then give us your 20 lowest performing. And then we'll aggregate those two sets of data and compare them. And it can highlight for us what is differentiating those two groups. I would be fascinated to see that process of how you do that. I will say that usually the individuals being assessed don't know they're in the higher low performing group because we want them all to be successful. So that's key to culture. The other thing I was thinking about, and because you asked about levels, is particularly in construction, we assess every everyone from the project coordinator out in the field to the CEO. Uh, actually, mm-hmm. for some of the construction companies we work with, we're even assessing their interns because what they found is their summer interns lead to great project managers and superintendents. And so really identifying that potential for talent when they're juniors and sophomores in in college and looking to stay on with an organization for uh, several summers. That's incredible. I could ask you questions all day. I think we're going to have to do another one of these with you. I appreciate you both so much, but we've been talking today with Jennifer Nguyen and Dana Borchert at CMA Global. And if you're listening in your construction company or an architect or engineering firm or anyone in any industry, really, and you're wanting to turn your people into stats and really understand what motivates them and how that reflects in your company culture, I think you should you should turn to CMA Global. And I so appreciate you both being with us today on Build America. Thanks, Carrie. Thank you so much. Thank you. Clayco is a proud sponsor of Build St. Louis. At Clayco, it's been their culture from the very beginning to do more than just build, to create, to innovate, and to do so with a holistic, intelligent balance of art and science that's unmatched anywhere. Clayco understands that it's not about the walls they plan and the buildings they put up. It's about the people and their purpose within them every day. Clayco builds for a cure for a scientific breakthrough, for a family that's safe and healthy, for a cleaner world, and for a better future. Clayco is a full-service, turnkey real estate, architecture, engineering, design building, construction firm. Clayco delivers clients across North America the highest quality solutions on time, on budget, and above and beyond expectations.